I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Welcome to the podcast. Music has been a loyal companion throughout his life. It has served him as he discovered himself in a diverse world growing up in the U.S. and Europe, and even more profoundly when he joined the military. Breaking down walls that separate us is at the core of his outlook on life. His is a voice of kindness in our restless world. Today, I want you to meet Raymond C. Mobley. I am so happy that you have joined us today on this podcast because the conversation I had with Ray is actually one that is so important right now in this time in our history um, from all points of view, really. We talk about the social justice and the racial inequality. He talks about his experience growing up with really very little um, exposure to that kind of hate and pain. But it's not because he was, you know, growing up in a privileged community. It was because of his outlook and his attitude on life. And I really, really appreciate his honesty and his openness about it. Uh, Ray is an artist. He is a musician. He just released his album that I'm sure you'll get snippets of throughout this interview. But also, I hope you will check out on your own because it's it's a really um, amazing project that culminates his entire commitment to the music that he put together, wrote and produced and did it all on his own, really. Uh, we talked about his life growing up. We talked about, again, the music that affected uh, different courses and different times in his life. We talked about his experience in the military and how that has served him to become the person that he is today. The one thing that I always feel when I talk to Ray is optimism. He never, ever, ever talks about things from a place of anger, from a place of hurt, from a place of frustration, even though those are all emotions that I know he has felt, he has expressed. But his grace and his kindness and his compassion is just the driving force behind his outlook in life. One of the things I will say that I found striking about our conversation is the parallel of the wall. You know, we, we have listened to Trump building, you're talking about building his infamous wall. And yet uh, Ray's earliest memory as a young adult growing up in Germany has a little something to do with a wall that was brought down. I see Ray as someone that has lived his entire life bringing down walls and building bridges. So come with me on this journey of exploration and adventure. I'm excited for you to listen to Ray and his lovely storytelling and his amazing music. Here we go. Raymond, hi. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, I, I have a long list of things I want to talk to you about. I awesome. kind of don't know where to start because I want to jump into all of it. So I'm going to say this to the listener. Please hang tight. Listen to the whole interview because 
every single topic that Ray and I are going to cover is going to be of interest. So I'm going to start the first thing with what I've been asking all of my guests so far, because I am recording during this crazy COVID-19 era. I'm sure this has affected you. I know it's affected us because you and I are actual colleagues. We are colleagues at Evergreen State College, and that's where we met. We have had many conversations over the course of the year that we've known each other and found kind of a very profound affinity for a variety of reasons. But tell me how this COVID-19 stay-at-home life has affected in good or bad ways. Um, It's mostly good ways. Uh, There's only a couple bad ways, and obviously it's not being able to hang out with my colleagues at work and I miss that interaction with everyone at work, especially you and um, everyone. I miss that. I really do. In the good way, it's brought me a lot more connected with my family, uh, a lot more connected with my music. I am able to produce music now like never before. I can go and just hang out with my family when I want to if I'm not really too busy. (laughs) Sometimes I feel really guilty when I'm not doing that, you know, so. (laughs) It, it, it has brought us really a, a lot closer. I finally, I was just thinking the other day, I was in, in the bedroom and my family was downstairs and my wife was like, where are you? You know, so <laughs> it's, it was kind of like, oh my goodness, if we leave each other for two seconds, you know, we, we just have that, that really strong bond right now. Yeah. I don't know what it is. My daughter and I would go bike riding almost every day. Oh. A point to go bike riding every day. And so I take time out for her to do that. So this thing has been kind of good and kind of bad. I feel kind of bad for her because she doesn't have that social interaction with sure. her friends like she wants to. So we're kind of filling that void as well. So yeah. we're trying to be parents and friends at the same time. Right. Well, so. I will say that one of the, my favorite things about, you know, being around you at work, especially is when your phone rings and it's your wife or when you take off for lunch because you're going home to have lunch with her. So that's, I can tell that you are very family oriented and really, and then if anyone walks into your office, they'll see the the museum of <laughs> pictures of your beautiful daughters and your wife. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, I, I do want to preface and say that we are going to cover multiple grounds. In the intro, I did say a little bit about who you are and what are some of the topics that we are going to talk about. But I always love to start at the very beginning. As Fräulein Maria in The Sound of Music says, let's start at the very beginning. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's go to childhood. Tell us okay. where you were born, where you grew up, and then... Um, jump into your journeys because I will, spoiler, you actually grew up mostly also in Germany, in Europe. And so I I do want to hear a little bit about that experience as well. So where were you born? I was born in Tallahassee, Florida. My very first memory is actually in Madison, Florida when I was two years old. And I still remember my very first memory. I, I woke up and it was blazing hot. And I was in my aunt's bedroom and I could hear everyone kind of talking outside and and they were having dinner and stuff. And I was taking my little nap and I remember waking up just super hot and had this like little mild headache. And I was like, what is all that noise? So I got up, you know, and my diaper was wet. So (laughs) so I go out there and and I, I, and that's when I first saw, I saw my family and, but I come from a broken home. You know, I was, my father was, um, he was just visiting from college. My dad's a doctor now. So my mother and he met him while they were in college and they were actually separated when I was doing that moment. 
Wow. So I really don't have a lot of childhood memories with my biological mother. And, but my, I have such a, a rich childhood because all of those people that I heard in that other room were responsible for raising me until my father finished school. So you, so you grew was, up, I'm sorry, you grew up with your father and your stepmother. Yes. Yes. And my, I, well, and my aunt, that my aunt actually helped raise me. She made all of my clothes at the time. Wow. She supported my dad and everyone supported my dad while he was going to school. Amazing. They took super, super good care of me. And we was out on a farm in, in the middle of Madison, Florida, and there was nothing around me but family. Wow. So that's what I knew for, for a long time. For Until I was eight years old, I was on a farm and I, I learned to, you know, cook and, and go out and get your food. And um, I ran around barefoot for a long time. My English was horrible. Your so, English yeah, was horrible. Yeah, my English was terrible. Because? Was because I didn't speak proper English. So um, I went to Panama after my dad finished school. He's so long story short, my dad always promised me, he said, son, you know, when I finish school, I'm going to come get you. Don't worry. We're going to go and, and we're going to go do our thing all around the world. And he kept his promise. Wow. He seriously did. He would come home every weekend he could. Uh, so we had a really super great relationship. So your dad was gone because he was in the military. No, my dad was gone at that time because he was in school. Because he, he was, was in school. To, yeah, okay. He was going to graduate school. Then he went oh. on to medical school. So wow. he's, uh, and, and, and I knew that everyone was like, Oh, your dad's going, he's doing his thing. He'll, and he, and he was also in the military after he finished college. He, wow. he was in the military. Right. So he, he was, was a medic in, in the military. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. He was a doctor in the military. He was, yes, he, oh, he was okay. a doctor in the military. Okay. Uh, so I remember he would take me to see this, this lady all of the time in Alabama that he was dating and I fell in love with her oh. and she's who I became, who became my mother. I, I come to know her as my mother wow. uh, to this day. And I've never called her my stepmom. I've never, ever called her my stepmom. I don't consider her my stepmom. Uh, I consider her my mother because of just how she took me in when she didn't have to. That's beautiful. Uh, she took me in as her own kid and uh, she treated me just as such. Well, I can so, tell you that, that um, stepmothers, for lack of a better title, definitely see their children as all their children. Because I also have a biologically, by uh, law, stepson, mm -hmm. who I never referred to as my stepson. So mm -hmm. you are no different to her, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, matter of fact, she writes me every day. Uh, she'll send me a little note that says, you know, matter of fact, she wrote me this morning. She's mm -hmm. like, I love you more than you could ever imagine, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, I, so I really, really, really have a lot of respect for her and um, what she's meant to my dad. And, That's amazing. You know, so also, she's never, you know, my 21st birthday, one thing she did, she had my biological mother come my 21st birthday to visit, you know, oh, and wow. to share that moment with me wow. as well. You know, so they've never ever tried to keep me away from my bio biological mother. Um, like, like, you know, we've talked before, I used to go visit my biological mother, you know, in States away. And they made me do that. Yeah. They, they made me do that. Um, which I really appreciate sure. because, you know, they never tried to hide anything. They let me make my own decisions right. about, like our relationship and stuff but my dad was always like you're gonna respect your biological mother because she's what brought you to this world um 
So you grew up with a very, very rich and, and solid family unit, which is why your family is so important to you. You grew up around people that made sure that you knew that you are basically a product of the people who love you and raise you. And so, it, I mean, that's a really powerful thing. I think, especially in our culture in America, where we believe as a society that if you come from a partially broken home, and you know, I don't even like the word broken. It's really, it's kind of a, a different home right. or a home that is multi-pieced. Right. People automatically think that you are, you know, messed okay. up or exactly yeah. that you're in trouble or that you are yeah. suffering. And yet you grew up in a home that was pieced together that actually made you only more of the amazing person that you are. Yeah, my aunt, my my aunt, um, whose bed I that's my first memory on, she came up here. She just flew up here. She's she's in her 80s and she flew up here with my mom and, and dad. And she she flew up here just to say, you know, how proud she was. And wow. you know, she was like, I am I, I she felt proud. She was like, I feel responsible for how you turned out. And he, of course. Um, and she actually she's part of that. She actually is. So, yeah. Wow. So I know that you went to Germany. I, that was one of the most fascinating facts when you and I first met and you shared that with me. I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of cool because you graduated high school from Germany, didn't you? Yeah. So, yes. yeah. So tell me a little bit about your experience in Germany, especially as an American, as a young black American man mm-hmm. in Germany. I, I'm very curious about what that experience was like. So at first, I did not want to go. At first, I wrote... I. I was raising all kinds of hell to my father <laughs> saying, I do not want to go to Europe because I want to stay here in South Carolina. That's where we are at this time. Was there a girl and in South Carolina? N- no, okay. it was all my friends. Okay. It was all my male friends. It had, had zero to do with a, a, a woman. <laughs> it was how close my friends and I were. Yeah. Um, and he understood that. And so he said, okay, w- w- they made arrangements for me to actually stay in the U.S. And so, you know, I was talking to him one day he said how about you give it at least a month or so come to Europe for about a month sorry if you don't like it then we'll send you back and so I I said okay I will do that and I got there and the first night I was there I said I'm never going back to the U.S. whoa I absolutely loved it wow I I absolutely I fell in love with every single part of of, and I got there like in it was like February and it was snowing and stuff so i was uh it was so beautiful it was so different you know especially coming from madison florida you know with cows Mm -hmm. and pigs and no shoes to this culture that embraced me as well wow and it was just it was beautiful and i've been to a lot of great places in panama for one uh, but germany was i really loved it so in now what era is this this was in 86 okay wow so this is like also peak german political historic changes as well yes with the berlin wall and yeah ah you're gonna show me something no way this is the actual piece of the berlin wall that my father just sent to me what that i helped take take down when i was in europe oh my god right like this this is kind of crazy that you have played such an important part of breaking down walls your whole life and it all Mm -hmm. started i mean what a symbol for you to have been part of the berlin wall takedown that's kind of amazing so just take me back to teenage ray at that time by the wall what what was happening so by the wall i was 
becoming who I who I wanted to be. So I was playing football and I was also recording music. I was riding my bike recording studios. I was doing everything I wanted to do. I was also working at Burger King, you know, on on post. Um, and I was just really, you know, I was. I was in love with someone, you know, I, I had a high school sweetheart at the time. So, in Germany. Yeah, in mm-hmm. Germany. So I was, uh, this was around 89 when the mall came down. Right. So I was, I was really, everyone was really excited about my life because I've always been a musician and my friends to this day have always, even now with this album coming out, they're like, oh my goodness, this is finally what you have been dreaming of for you, you, ever since they've known me. So. It's been really, really uh, great having them in my corner for so long. And I, that's one of the great things about my life is that most of the friends I've had, even the ones that I had to leave while I was in South Carolina and screaming, not, I, I didn't want to go to Europe, they're still in my life to this day. Wow. You know, and my friends that I met in Europe are still in my life to this day. Wow. You know, all my friends from the military are in my life to this day. So I really have, have held on to all of my friendships. Yeah. You know, most people say, well, you leave one place and you make other friends and stuff. That just wasn't the case with me. I've always retained all, most of all the friends I've ever had. You know, I noticed that to be a very typical characteristic of, of kids who are referred to as, um, um, what is it? Uh, Brats. Well, Brats. aside from that, there's also the, um, oh, goodness, I'm forgetting the, it's not third world, it's uh Third culture, third culture children. And Mm -hmm. third culture children are children who grew up in multiple cultures or Mm -hmm. weren't necessarily born where they come from or vice versa, were born and then moved and grew up. So you and I share that, that third culture child experience because we've moved and, you know, met all kinds of people. And so we never saw ourselves boxed into a label or a category. We are proud of who we are, but we feel like we belong to everyone and everyone belongs to us. And exactly. I, and and that's kind of one of the things that really struck me about you when I met you. And so picturing you as this young American kid in Germany bringing down the wall, did that in that moment, maybe now as an adult you reflect back, but in that moment, did you think of that in any way as sort of a similar uh, experience as what maybe people in America, especially black Americans that went through the civil rights movement and all of that, just that that really wanting to bring the divide down and open everything up. Did you think of that? At that moment, no. At that moment in time, I was so caught up in, oh my goodness, this is this is awesome. First of all, this wall is coming down and these two countries are going to come. I didn't know the whole, I didn't know the history well enough to, to, you know, and when Reagan came and said, hey, tear down this wall, I didn't even see that. I just, my dad was like, we're getting in the car, we're going to go to Berlin, there's this great thing happening, and we went and we did it, and then afterwards, I was like, oh my goodness, that was kind of a huge moment, yeah. you know, in time that I got to be a part of, um, but as I reflect back, that's basically how my life has been, Yeah. you know, one of my first encounters was with my, my mother in Panama, and there was this kid riding his bike, and I will never forget, he fell off his bike right in front of the place that I was I was visiting her, her, her aunt or something like that. And so she was like, hey, go out and help this young man. And I was like, I don't know him. Why would I get up and go mm-hmm. help him? And she was like, because that's what we did. Wow. And from that moment on, that's just how I've lived my life. Yeah. You know, and so that wall, those walls that, that have been torn down, um, a lot of folks have asked me, how do you get along with 
everyone so well, you know, is because I don't really see color. I just see people's soul. I honestly do. I believe you. Um, and now, nowadays is, of course, I have to look at the world through a different lens because of everything that's going on. And that's the part that's really difficult for me. So let, let's talk about that. I I mean, this is the, the perfect time to talk about um, what's happening in the world. We're living during a time of immense social unrest, mm-hmm. um, unbelievable social um, injustices, especially racial injustices. This is the time right after the um, explosion, the rightful explosion after George Floyd's killing um, mm-hmm. And many others, but George Floyd seemed to be the one that catapulted the entire world, not just America, into this like enough. We're we're sick of this. So we are living in this time. For you, I must think that this is really difficult because, on one hand, I know that you are very much of a peaceful um, pacifist, and you just said you don't choose to see color. You want to have experiences with people just based on their soul. Uh, you're also married to a white woman. And you have mixed daughters. And so so this is not just a, a social thing for you or a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, or, or a um, citizenship thing for you, like, oh, we are all Americans. This is personal for you. This is your family also. So how are you living right now in the midst of having these profound emotions around what's going on. H- how do you come to terms with yourself, with your family, with your daughters? What's the conversation like? So I'm really lucky that my wife is really supportive and she understands the lens I have to look at as well. So, and it's really difficult because I want her to understand the history of why we are going through what we're going through right now and why we're so angry and and but at the same time, I don't want her to be like, well, you know, mom's culture did this to your culture. But my, my, my wife has been the one that says, look, you know, everything in history has not been as rosy as it's been. Painful. And so this is why we need you to pay attention to what's going on in the world. And uh, so I have to be my daughter is really, really smart. So I find that the best way to deal with it is not trying to cocoon her and shelter her but show her what is going on so she can be vigilant. And it was really difficult because, as you know, I've been asked millions of times to become a police officer after I left the military. And my family pleaded with me not to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm blessed that I didn't do that because of everything that's going on right now. But I also know a lot of great police officers. uh, And I know what they're going through, you know, Elliot and, Matter of fact, I te- tested uh, our, our last um, police chief that was at Evergreen as well just yesterday. We were just talking yesterday. Wow. So it's a, uh, it's wonderful. But I'm, I, I also now I'm just like, man, this could have been me, you know, mm-hmm. and I fear not just for me. I fear for my children because my biggest fear is not being here for my kids. And, oh, yeah. and not being able to to beat up my children, regardless. Of, and, you know, I've, I've done four combat tours, you know, so that is my biggest fear. And to have it happen on American soil, to me, is even more depressing. Yeah. Uh, and I get really, so there were, there was two weeks where I didn't want to talk to anyone. Yeah, I can only yeah. imagine. I can only imagine because for you, this is, 
a symbol of, I mean, because George Floyd has a, had a little girl. I mean, he has a little yeah. girl, that sweet, uh, yeah. you know, face and the, the words that came out all over social media from her own pain and her feelings about her dad. And so it's easy for you to picture your daughters in that position. And you have an adult daughter and a young, so when you refer to your daughter that you talk to a lot, it's because she's still at home. She's still young mm -hmm. and still needing your reassurance. Your older daughter has, you know, matured into adulthood with a lot of support and a lot of um, confidence in how to go into the world. And I'm sure you're also talking to her about it. But for you to be able to reassure your young child that's at home that, you know, daddy is safe, daddy's okay, and at the same mm -hmm. time trying to make her feel okay with both of who she is, because she's mm -hmm. as much black as she is white, yes. um, it, you know, to make sure that she doesn't grow up with a bat with an internal battle of her two yes. sides, Mm -hmm. That must be hard. And and kudos to your wife for making sure that, that she that your child needs to know the true history. I mean that right. that's a conversation that allows, you know, both of you to have courage with being completely honest and transparent. Mm -hmm. Um Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, but also I don't want her to be afraid to live. One of my biggest things I want for my child, well, for both of my children, are to have the experiences I've had in my life. And that's what my, my dad and I have talked about countless times. Like right now with COVID-19 going on, I can't give them the experiences that I had back, you know, when I was growing up. With, but I want them to be able to go out and experience life with whomever is around. You know, not everyone is bad. And I, but you have to actually, you know, just use good judgment. Sure. So, but but don't come, to, don't jump to conclusions uh, irrationally. Yeah, that that's such wise words. So let me ask you then, on a personal level, for you having had this journey, having grown up, you know, kind of all over the place and in Germany and Europe, not, you know, being taught to see people by the color of their skin, but rather by their soul and their presence. How has it been for you to continue to be authentic and true to yourself within two communities, your wife's community and your own community growing up? Have you experienced judgment, backlash, um, rejection from either one of the cultures in your life? Never. Wow. Never. And my wife and I talk about this all the time because we have friends that are interracial and they, they'll come over and they're like, oh, we had this problem and this problem, and this problem. My wife and I are like, we've never had that problem. Wow. And I think it might, well, so we had, it might be because of how we project ourselves as well. We don't let that negativity come into our space. So, and it's been, I'm telling you, I've gone out camping in the middle of the woods with my wife and my daughter and where people I think were going to be like super judgy or prejudiced against me have said, hey, come over here check out my new rig that I just bought and invited <laughs> me into this space. Like they knew me for 20 years. Wow. And that meant so much to me, you know? So, because I was, I'm like, wow, you know, there are some, still some really great, I was out riding my bike on the path way down Shahela's trail. And here I am thinking, well, I got to be cognizant of this. And I'm thinking all of these thoughts and every single white person that I encountered was like, Hey, how are you doing? You wow. know, wave to me or whatever. So I'm like, I got home and I, I said, you know, there, there are really some, still some really great people in this world, yeah. you know? So I'm, I'm living my life moment by moment. So every, that's how I live my life. Like every moment 
I, I don't I don't try to to judge, you know, years out or whatever. I'm judging what I'm going to do a minute from now. You know what I mean? I and, absolutely and know what you mean. And here's the thing, though, because some of the listeners might say, well, that's easy for you because right. maybe you have the personality or maybe this hasn't yeah. been a, your experience. So right. how would you how would you say that? um I, I, this is a really important question to word, and I'm trying to find the right way to word it to where it really is a message of empowerment. So mm-hmm. for people who tend to have a um, a more, not, not necessarily negative approach because they're choosing to be negative, but maybe because they've been surrounded by a lot of negative experiences. So mm-hmm. they, they automatically think the worst because that's been what's modeled to them. You've been lucky that that wasn't modeled to you. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I'm talking on both sides, both the white side and the black side, mm-hmm. how, like, give us some words of wisdom. How can we move forward as a society for those of us who are struggling because maybe we don't have the personality that you have, or maybe because we are scared or awkward or uncomfortable to talk and ask questions. What is what is a good starting point? I'll tell you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. Mm. That's what it all comes down to. Wow. I don't care where you are, what you're doing. If you treat people the way that you want to be treated, somehow it de-escalates whatever it is that's going on. Uh, and I've learned that. I, I've, I've really, that's just something I, I've, I've, I've learned. Um, now, have I never experienced prejudice or whatever? Yes, but I've dealt with it in a, in a different way. You know, um, especially coming from the military, I've had to deal with prejudice. You know, I've had people tell me things. and But the thing is, is that if you show people that you can take away that power, that they're trying to hold over you, yeah. then and and that's what I mean by because they're expecting you to act a certain way. You take that power away from them and you treat them the way that you want to be treated. It totally takes the power away from. Them. That's amazing. That is, I mean, if anything, that's what Dr. Martin Luther King said time and time and time again. You know, it's it's all about treating others the way you want to be treated, facing. Yeah hate with love and rejecting the notion that the only way to fight back is through violence. Sometimes there Mm -hmm. is a time and place for violence. I am not negating that, but I don't think it needs to be the approach every single time because that's how we create balance. You mentioned the military um, a couple of times, and I want to make sure we talk about that because your experience as a veteran is you're a retired uh, military um, soldier. Right. Um, so tell me about your experience in the military. First of all, why did you choose the military as a path initially? And then during your time in the military, I'm sure there were gifts of travel. You were able to see parts of the world that maybe without the military, you wouldn't have. So I, I want to know from your experience, what has the military given you that's made you, you know, all the great things that you are today? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, so much. I remember. Um, I joined the military because I wanted to go to, to school to, to, for music school. And my dad was just kind of like, oh, I want you to go to this school. And we were in conflict constantly about what I wanted to do. So finally, I was sorry. Finally, I said, you know, I really want to still travel the world and, and do different things and stuff. So. And I was also in a very bad place in New Jersey where everyone was doing terrible things. Mm. And I was like, this is not what I want for my life whatsoever. And so 
I just put all these things together and, and my mom said, hey, yeah, let's go, let's go and check out what the military can do. And I joined the military and I went to my first duty station in Fort Lee, Virginia, which is up for renaming whatever right now because mm-hmm. of the better name. Sure. But that was the absolute best decision I've ever made in my life. Wow. I got there and I was welcomed with so many open arms. It was insane. Like you will never um, imagine. I had friends galore that just supported me and helped me with my career and everything. So um, I ended up having to leave that unit because I had to change my MOS because I scored really high on on my my DT score. So I had to change my job. And I had to leave them after about four years. But I had gone to Korea uh, during that time. I'd gone to Egypt twice. Wow. So I, you know, and, and, I, and to this day, they're still some of my best friends, you know. So I want to ask you this, though. When you went into the military, were you, would you consider yourself coming from a conservative or a liberal progressive family? I would say a little bit of both. Okay. So, and the reason why I'm asking this is because there's so much controversy around supporting the military in this country uh, in terms of what that says about you politically. I don't care what political background you are part of. And I've said this on the show before. I am, you know, a proud, open liberal. I Mm -hmm. still think the military deserves the support no matter what side of the aisle you stand on. Because the military uh, protects our right to stand here as free Americans. So that being said, whatever the military's uh, behavior is or whatever the administration's behavior is towards the military or with the military or for the military, that's the political angle of things. And that's a whole other conversation. But in terms of the actual experience of having veterans, um, having soldiers in this country that protect us. Uh, none of us, I think, are fans of war. I, I, I mean, I don't think anyone sets out to say, let's go into war because it's a fun picnic. When it happens, it happens. But regardless of that, so for you being part of the military and having the apprehension of some of your own maybe progressive liberal ideologies and still having, you know, a strong sense of respect for the military because of your father and maybe other members of your family, how did you then come to terms with your own personal political ideologies, whether you were in the military or after you left the military? How do you answer to those? Because I'm, I'm sure you get poked, um, you know, about that. I'm, you know, not really. Really? Yeah, not really. I'll tell you, the only time I've had a problem in the, um, was when I was in basic training and we were training and we had this 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 mantra we had to say, you know, about blood makes the grass grow and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, so it really hit home as to what I was training to become. And so I called my dad and, you know, he, he explained it to me. My dad was just like, hey, you fake it until you make it. Wow. You do what you need to do and to, to, to get to the next level. This is not something you're going to have to do, for, but you're, you're in training. That's part of being a soul. And with that, there was no liberal or conservatism views or whatsoever mm-hmm. because we were there as soldiers protecting both of those sides, white to be whatever they wanted to be. And in that, what, what really drove us was protecting each other. 
you know, having each other's back. I, I think if you talk to any veteran, that's probably the most important thing to us is having our, our fellow comrades back and making sure that they're okay. And in that, it goes into, hey, we will do whatever we have to do to make sure that, because it, it does comes down to every American that you're protecting because, you know, we're, we're, we're United States, right. you know? We're not a divided state. So if we just think in those terms, everything just else falls into place, you, you know, and you're representative of the United States, whether it's liberal, liberals or conservatives. When you go out into combat, which I've done multiple times, mm-hmm. nobody cares about what your political views are. They don't whatsoever. So let me ask you this then, because that is a, such an important point. So in real life, when we find ourselves in situations that are uncomfortable, because let's say I'm in a circle of social, you know, um, friends, uh, let's call mm-hmm. them friends, but let's say social acquaintances. And there are some people who are maybe way more conservative on certain ideologies. I, like you, I'm comfortable talking to everyone and anyone, but let's Mm -hmm. use the example of a person that is not comfortable and chooses to sort of separate themselves from someone that they ideologically think really differently from. Mm -hmm. In the military, you don't have that luxury. You can't separate yourself. So explain to me how in the military, where you are in a group of people of all ideologies, and you know for a fact that they will die for you, even if their opinion is the opposite of you, how does that translate then into everyday life? How can we learn from that mentality? And also, how do we know that those soldiers that are, regardless of their personal views, are choosing to put their life on the line to protect everyone else, including those who they disagree with, Again, how do we how do we learn from that, and how do we apply that ourselves? Well, we also have a saying in the military. It's called "one team, one fight." That is how, because we are one team, and it's one fight. It's us against them, whoever our enemy is, and we understand that. Hey, all of us are different, so we used to actually have courses in the military that teach you about different cultures you know if we would like if I were to go to Korea there's a class you go to to learn about Korea about the culture and how not to be offensive and to be respectful Hmm. now everyone takes it differently and you can't speak for everyone because people do go over there and just make total you know you know of themselves yeah but um it's 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 taught to us to be respectful to each other, and that's that's the bottom line. We have so many different um, different ways in which we are taught to be respectful to each other and each other's ideals. And but we also know it's one team and one fight. So this is really important. The military is trained to mm-hmm. know how to behave when they are in a foreign land. They're taught the culture, they're taught what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. How amazing would it be if we took that kind of model and that resource and put it into our children in the school system to teach our children how to lovingly be that way within their own American multicultural and racial community? It would make one hell of a difference. Right. I will tell you that. Yeah. It, will, it really would. Yeah. You know, and... So my dad and I were just talking about this, uh, about like leadership and how when you're, because I taught at West Point for about three months. And so 
we don't want to know all of the great stuff. We have to know the bad stuff because if we get to the bad stuff, then all of the, everything else will work itself out. That's right. But we have to we have to be able to learn what the bad stuff is, and so it doesn't happen again. You know right. what I mean? We can't we can't brush it under a rug or whatever. But it's also important to understand, you know, hey, um, maybe this person is sitting over or doesn't have eye contact with you because they're that's just their culture. They're not trying to be rude. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, so absolutely. It, it would make a, a humongous difference. Yeah, I, I always say that. I mean, understanding other cultures only helps us not only have compassion and empathy, but also survive. I mean, because yes. at the end of the day, we're all just trying to survive. We're all just trying yes. to feel accepted and loved. So through all these experiences that you've had, you know, you, you're almost like an octopus. And I say this lovingly because you have all these tentacles that really can touch and reach all different parts of, you know, the world and yourself. There's your music, your veteran uh, status, your family, the multiculturalism and multiracialism that is in your family. Would you consider that all these experiences in your life have kind of inadvertently thrust you into the role of bridge? Because I see myself as a bridge. I see you as a bridge. Do you, or maybe even a bridge with different, you know, maybe a spaghetti junction bridge with different, you know, paths. Do you see yourself that way? I do. I do. And when I first moved to this, I first moved into this this home here, uh, they asked me to be on the, the board here, on the HOA board. And I didn't realize that how much of a bridge I would have to be on the HOA board mm-hmm. because we have some people, some African-American people who say, well, they're trying to oppress me by making all these rules. And because they might write to them and say, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z, it comes off differently. So I literally had to be the bridge to say, wait a minute, you know, I will deliver the message. And just by me delivering the message, canceled all of that out. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I see you doing that in so many different ways. You also just now said, um, I have to talk to the African-American, you know, uh, members of the community. So I I do want to talk to you about this, because this is one of those conversations that white people tend to have very often about the appropriateness of uh, labels or titles. So Mm -hmm. some say that you only are to say African-American, some say you're only to say black. I'll tell you what my experience with this has been. Because for me, it's, it's similar to when people say, do you say Arab? Do you say Arabic? Do you say Arabian? Do you say Middle Eastern? Um, to me, you know, they, they all have a place. It just depends on the conversation. It also leads to one of the things that a friend of mine once said, why is it called Black Lives Matter? It's not African-American Lives Matter. It's Black Lives Matter because the color of the skin is what has racialized and caused so many problems. Not the status of origin, but it really is the color of the skin, number one. Number two, many African-Americans, um, or I'm sorry, many black Americans who are referred to as African-American are not necessarily African-American. They may be African-Canadian or... Um, and then the the last one that for me really said, okay, I really hear it now, and that's why I tend to default to black, is because a friend of mine said to me that when a black American is referred to as African-American, the immediate insinuation is as they come from a family of slavery and it's not always the case. So I would love for you to share your wisdom on this particular sensitive topic. Well, for me, it's very, very personal because when I remember I told you I went to Fort Lee as my first duty station, about three to four months later, I was in Somalia, Mm. fighting in Somalia. Wow. And the Africans there were not very happy with us there. 
And they made it a point to say that we are not African American. We're Black Americans. They're true African American. Wow. So from that moment on, I've never had a problem with them being called an African American. I am a I'm a Black American, even though my origins now and I look they are from Africa, but um, and I come from my family are descendants of slaves. They are descendants of, and I'm proud of that because that's just who we are. That's how we got to came to be who we are. Wow. Um, wow. It, I I wish that it was not under those circumstances. Sure. But we are we're we're Black American. You know, I I, I know nothing about Africa. You know, mm. other than it is a beautiful place. Uh, and I want to go back there and, and I watched the amazing race and I still want to take my daughters back there to experience because it's, it's beautiful. And it's where we come from, but I consider myself a black American. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's what I hear more and more from, you know, all the different, different, uh, Americans who have all kinds of backgrounds and cultural, cause there is, you know, it, it reminds me of Michelle Obama. I don't know if you read the book becoming it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Did you read it? No, you have to read it because it's a, read it. it's amazing. But there is a point in the story where she talks about you know when her and Barack uh, first started dating, and he he would go back to Africa to meet his or to be with his sister and and his dad. And uh, when they were engaged, he asked her to go back with him, and she did. She was super excited, and she writes in the book, you know, I was going back to the to the motherland, to mm-hmm. the homeland. I was going to meet my people, and when she got there. Everyone was asking her, so which one of your parents is white? And she's like, oh, no, 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 I'm black. And they're like, no, one of your parents is probably white. And they're, and she's like, no, I am like full on black. I am African American. And they're like, honey, you are not. You yeah. are American black, which to an African was not, you know, the full on African yeah. that they see themselves. And for her, that was a huge shock and a wake up call. And reading how she worked with that was just beautiful and stunning. And it made her realize, I'm an American. I don't Mm -hmm. need to say I am an African-American. And Whoopi Goldberg has said this multiple times. We've worked too hard to be something American. We're just plain old American. Yeah. Because when you think of American, you think of the default. Are all Americans just white? And then you have to preface Asian-American, Black American, African-American. We're all American, right? Right. Even those of us who are immigrants. So that's what that reminds me of. And I love that you had your own story in Africa to share. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. In the military, you also um, had the pleasure of playing music. Yes. So I, I want to make sure that we are now opening that gate to talk about your music because you have a single that just came out. Mm-hmm. You have an album that is coming out next week. You and we are recording before your release. The episode will air after the album is out. So please make sure you check it out. We will share all that information within the podcast. And I will make sure I also put that in the bio of the podcast. But you just released a single before we jump into the current projects. I want to hear about your music experience in the military. So that starts really early too. my first roommate at Fort Lee, Virginia. His name was Kevin Ray. I'll never forget. Matter of fact, he, yeah, he's 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 a great guy. I didn't have credit, right? So I wanted this keyboard, and he said, "Hey, come on, I got you. We're gonna go get you the keyboard you want, and you know, I'll you know take care of the credit stuff." And I was like, "Oh my goodness!" So I got this keyboard, and um, my my room used to be right above our commander's office and our first Uh-oh. office. So I would, I would try to sneak up to my room and play. 
and without them knowing, but they always heard me and they <laughs> never bothered me. They were like, oh my, they, they wow. never bothered me, ever. Whoa. <laughs> uh, and they would, sometimes they would just be like, hey, you know, that you, you're going to be really, really good. And so I was like, oh my goodness, am I going to get in trouble? But I never got in trouble for it um, because people just really appreciate it. I remember going to um, one of these leadership schools in Alabama and, and the housekeepers would come in and went in our hotel and, and I would, they would have me play for them and I would just, they would sit there while they're supposed to be working and, and oh, sit there and, and just listen. And so I thought that was really cool. But then um, I, one of my, some, some of my coworkers invited us to, invited me to come play in a band there. And I never played in a band before. Was so, it, I'm sorry, was it a military band or just like, no, oh, okay. It was just a group of guys and girls who we were in this little shack. And they were like, hey, come, come at least just play with this. Because I would just do everything in my studio at, at, um, at my, my apartment here. And so um, I went and I, we played this band. It's called After Hours. And so I remember playing and the general, the post commander came running. And we, we had literally just taken the padlock off this little building. And we snuck in. And that's what because it had electricity. And he was running by and he heard us. And so... He comes in and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, we're in so much trouble. And he was like, hey, <laughs> you guys are really good. And he said, why are you practicing in this shack? And we were like, this is all we have, you know. So he was like, OK, took our names down. They were shutting down our host club. He gave that to us. No way. You guys can now have that. That's your practice facility from now on. And wow. so I was just like, oh, this. So I realized how powerful music could be. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, you just got to make your promise that whenever I need you to come play at my house at my little parties, you guys will be available to you. And we were like, bet. So wow. and then we started paying for posts and, and, all, and we were really good. I mean, we were really, really good. Uh, but then I, I left. Uh, while, we're, while I was doing that, the, the all army show band director came and asked if, if I wanted to to actually play in the army band and I was like no I didn't want to do the six months of touring and it, it would mess up your career mm. your path and all that stuff so I, I was just kind of like no I'm, I'm good uh, and so I just always when I went to Korea I built my recording studio in my room I would always have a, a recording studio I would record guys that would come in I was learning how to become a producer and also an artist too so um yeah but it's you know, when I when I was leaving, when I was retiring, every one of my soldiers came and said, "You are now. This is what you're going to do." Well, so they were, they were making sure they were like, "This is what you really need to do." Well, and and that's what I love about the fact that you never let go of that because when you left the military, you went back to school, and you and I are total kindred spirits in that in that respect because we both went back to school as adults after a kind of a different career choice in life, whether you know it's parenting, military, other things that that took our uh, attention but you went back to school you went to evergreen and you focused on music production and business and and started doing a whole new uh explosive exploratory journey with your music um tell me a little bit about that and also a little bit about because i i've heard your music and our listeners today are going to get a taste of that as well you have a very very strong r&b kind of old school influence, which I love. It takes me back to Michael Jackson in the 80s. And it takes me back to some of those really soulful sounds of maybe Motown or post Motown. Let's talk about all of that. Yeah. So 
I was my dad just called me like two days ago and he was like, son, how did I'm not musically inclined? How did where did this come from? Where did you decide <laughs> this is what you wanted to do? And I told him he actually had a role in that because one day I came in from playing and Lionel Richie was on. TV. Oh, I was just going to say Lionel Richie. You remind me so much of Lionel Richie. <laughs> yeah. Lionel Richie was on TV with the Commodores and they were wearing these all white suits. And I thought it was just super cool. And then I heard them and I was like, that's what I want to do. And I, it was that moment. I was like, that's what I want to do. And um, so he went out and he, we were in Kmart and he heard me playing on this little Casio. He was like, we're buying it for you. And he bought it. And, and that's what happened that, you know, so. I, but he never could understand. He was like, how do you learn how to play? We never took any lessons or anything like that. So um, it's just something I really, I told him I really enjoyed it. And I, that's what I really wanted. And so I just put my mind to it and I'll practice, you know, hours and hours and hours a day and try to, uh, to get that sound that I was looking for. And that's never left me. That's why I still, I sound the way I, I've always wanted to sound. It's so authentic. And it's, it's the the beautiful thing about it is that it has a very old school flavor, even a little bit of boys to men with a really cool twist, because I think the listeners will be surprised. You also rap and I love your rapping because the lyrics are all um, very important. They're, they're coming from your heart. They're stories. I mean, there are of course love songs because we can't live life without love and love songs and all of those wonderful things. Some of those love songs are to yourself and your community and your, and when I say your community, I mean our global community, our, our oneness and breathe is really a reflection of how important that unity is. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I love the lyrics to that song. It's so poignant and so appropriate right now. Uh, Where do you find inspiration to, so, okay, let me rephrase. Do you first write the music or do you write the lyrics first? I usually always write the music first. Okay. I figured. Unless I'm in the shower, there are some songs um, that, that song, there she goes Mm -hmm. came while I was in the shower. And so I wrote the, I kind of wrote the tune in my head and the kind of how I wanted the the vocals to go. But then I came and wrote the music and then I structured the vocals around the music. And usually when the music comes to you first, it's because you're feeling a specific groove or because your music is very groovy. So usually nine times out of 10, I have no idea what I'm going to do when I come in and to the studio and I'm, I just want to be creative. Mm -hmm. So what motivates me is what, the first sound I hear. So if, if I'm working with like percussions or whatever, and it, it sounds really cool, I'll start dropping a, a bunch of um, tracks and, and just building off of that. And sometimes it's just the chords. I, I love chords. So I've always worked with chords. So uh, if I hear a certain chord or whatever, I'll build off of that, you know? So um, it might, one of my favorite songs, you know, Michael Jackson, Human Nature. So oh, yeah. I, just the structure of it and stuff. So uh, and the richness of it. So when I find that, I just kind of, kind of go, and it really. Sometimes I have no idea what it is I'm gonna do. Yeah, I, when you said Michael Jackson's Human Nature, that's exactly where I see you kind of sitting in that genre of like really uh, soulful, but also groovy and and complex, yeah. multi layered. It's important to note that you actually write all of the music, you arrange it, you. Uh, play it and you produce it. So your album is 100% all you. Yes. That's kind of phenomenal. That's, that's amazing. It's a, it was a lot of hard work. Um, 
I look back on it. I used to wake up at two in the morning to just, you know, before work, because it's quiet. There's, I don't have a lot of interference and stuff. It's cool in here. So I have always been like a workaholic when it comes to music. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to learn. That's one of the things when I went to Evergreen, I, I wanted to learn the production side of it. And uh, also how to just become a, a better musician and artist. And when you, you were talking about, yeah, I, I rap as well. I just discovered that I could actually rap. You I'm know, glad never, you did. Because <laughs> you know, I was, my daughter actually, she was like, Dad, can you do a song where you just rap? You know, so I, I, I just did the one I just sent you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was because of her. Amazing. But I was just kind of like, I don't, you know, I, I'll try it and see if it works out. And it did. It, it works out. And I, I kind of enjoy doing it. It really does. And and Breathe is both, you know, there's both the the riff, the, 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 um, the chorus, and also a really powerful rap. Tell me how the song Breathe came about. I want to make sure we tell the story of how this came about. Because everyone's going to assume, obviously, that it is very relevant to what's going on in the world right now. Yes. Uh, so actually, you're responsible for Breathe. <laughs> Breathe started out as a, a love song. And so when I first started writing it, I was I was really stuck. And I was I was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And so uh, I sent it to you and, and and you were like, oh, why don't you kind of make this about, you know, what's going on? And I was like, and after you said that, I had not one problem writing any of the, of the, the words to it. Well, I, I only I only pointed out the obvious because I could hear that. I, I You were writing a love song, and to me it sounded like a love song to the people who are in pain, the people who are suffering, the community that is so marginalized. That's what I heard in the song. And so I, I just suggested you, made it, you make it a little more obvious. And man, did you take it and run with it because it is phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for making that, you know, I had a friend before he's always telling me, he was, you know, always kind of step outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, love songs were always what I kind of did. And this was one of those first songs that I really wrote about, you know, something within you know, social justice and, and uh, something really relevant that could reflect on, you know, for this time. So, um, and I really enjoyed doing it. I really, I, I, I love doing it because it felt necessary. Your rhymes are very powerful. I will say this. Activists show up in the world in so many different ways. And you have shown up as an activist, not only through your humane interactions with those who hurt and those who help people, but also through your music. And I I really see this as a new door that's open for you artistically as well. Um, where you will take advantage of expressing some of your really profound and and wise thoughts around just our connection as people. I I see you using your music more and more for that because the way Breathe has transpired, all of it from your own psyche is kind of phenomenal. In the song Breathe, you are actually singing to a woman, but the woman is not an actual lover. You're actually singing to... To America. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like, and I'll make a re- reference to Lady Liberty. Yes. Um, but it's a song to America and how much I love America, even though it's done me and my, some of my people very wrong and maybe hasn't recognized how that has affected me um, or my people. 
Yeah. And so it's just a song to say, look, I still love you. I will still, you know, I hold you, you know, to this high standard. Um, but we got some work to do. Absolutely. I have to tell you, every now and then I catch my husband in the kitchen, like making a sandwich. I bleed, like, bleed, like, I'm like what? And he, he loves the song. It is really, it's so catchy and it's so, it, it's just, it, it moves you. But it's also a very positive song because it is, it is so uh, unconditional and comes from the heart. And a lot of the music that has changed the world, has come from a place of anger, and that's okay. I think it's a really powerful shift when we start changing the world through words of love and compassion and kindness and encouragement in that respect. The album drops July 17th. It is also four days, which by the time we are listening to this podcast, it's already out. So people jump on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, everywhere. It's everywhere. It's only available as digital download for now. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's also entitled Breathe, like the single. Right. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the other tracks that you're proud of on the album? Because the listeners will have a chance to listen to it by the time we're having this podcast released. So one of the ones that I really like and I find myself going back to all the time is um, Every Little Thing About You. I love the song because I actually sent it to the label, to, um, to Green Monkey. and Tom was like, oh, he loved it. But there was, I was still like, it didn't really, it wasn't doing it for me like I wanted it. So I went and I rewrote the whole song after I sent him the label and sent it to the label. And I said, didn't I want to just make this one of the hottest tracks on here? And it was a really slow song at first. And now it's a dance thing. Yes, so it is. I kind of, I, I like the groove of it. I, and it just felt really great to get that out the way I did. It actually felt good to, to put this song together. Yeah. And, and our listeners are going to get a taste of both of those tracks. I want to make sure that they get it. In fact, they probably already did because I, I will most likely play Breathe earlier in the episode and then we'll we'll wrap it up with um, um, every little thing you, about you. And right. then also I wanted to say that... Um, you are releasing on Green Monkey Records, which is an amazing local um, Olympia local record label who has primarily produced rock music. But man, they are spreading their wings now through exploring other genres of music. I think you are their first R&B slash hip hop artist, which is really exciting. Well, it made me nervous. (laughs) And I know your sons are on there. And I think you, again, you're responsible for that, making that connection with because your sons are on there who are amazing as well. Well, I you. love everything they do. You're it's a mutual a, feeling. So, but um, I, I was really nervous because I was like, oh, this is, you're not going to know how to handle me. And then I thought, I was like, you know what? Music is universal. It doesn't matter if you are rock or whatever. It doesn't matter what background is. People just love music because of, and that's one of the things I appreciated about meeting uh, Tom. Uh, and actually, I went out and talked to him, and we talked for hours. And oh, I got Tom in trouble because, yeah, my my wife is always like, "Oh my god, I hope you were social distancing." And but we were. <laughs> we we sat outside and we talked for a long time. Uh, but it's uh, it was it. I felt I trust him a, a, a lot, you know. With and I handed my baby over to him, and mm-hmm. so um, yeah, we'll see where yeah. it goes. Yeah, no, I, and and what I love is the connection of local supporting local. Yeah art supporting local 
activists, people that are really intending to make a better community for themselves and for yeah. those around them. And that's right. where the full circle moment is. It's no coincidence. You know, I, this is conversations. We have conversations here. I say it all the time. This is not about, you know, a formal interview. We're having a conversation. We're inviting everyone into the conversation that you and I usually have. And I will right. say, the truth be told, you were my mentor at work. I was a student worker at Evergreen in the uh, admissions department, and you immediately took me in and said, here's what we're going to do. Here's where I'm going to plug you into all the different things you can do. And it's been the life-changing experience for me as a senior and as a student at Evergreen. So I thank you for that. This it, It's amazing how full circle moments show up. And I say this because as people, as communities, we often forget how important it is for us to go out of our heart for others. And right. when we do that so authentically and organically, the universe just does this beautiful dance and turns it back around. There was no planning, no orchestration. You showed up for me genuinely from your heart. And in turn, it was so natural and organic for me to connect you with Tom and with Green Monkey Records. And boom, here, here's here's destiny just manifesting as it should. Yeah. And, and Jasmine, I'm, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because I literally, it's like, I was writing all this music and I'm like, what am I going to do with it? How am I going like, to, I don't even have the energy to go look for a record label. And you just brought everything to me in a basket. And within three days, you know, Tom was like, Hey, we're not only going to release breathe, we want to release everything. Mm -hmm. So I was, I, I was like, this is a blessing. So thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. But again, it goes back to the very first thing we said early in this conversation, the bridge, right? We're all yeah. here to show up as either a bridge or a tunnel. We all have a role in creating those connections. And that's what's so important about telling our stories. You are a rock star, man, even though you don't play rock music, but you know what I mean. I, you're, yeah. you're a rock star human being. I love everything about our friendship, about our connection, about our conversations. And I am so excited about the album coming out. By now, like I keep repeating, it is already out. So people who are listening, please go check it out because it it it's full of beautiful, delicious nuggets of music and lyrics. And uh, it, it is all a creation of Ray all in one package. You did it all. So before we completely wrap up and say goodbye, you know, I love to play the speed round rapid fire questions because you've heard my yeah. podcast and I love doing that because it's always fun to see how I can put you on the spot. Uh -huh. uh, so answer the first question or the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. You ready for this? Yep. All right. Buckle up. Okay. Composing melodies or writing lyrics. Which one? Composing melodies. Travel or home time? Home time. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, favorite country you've ever visited? Europe. Country. Oh. Specific. Uh, let's see. I would say Spain. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, competitive sports or recreational sports? Because you've done both. I've done both. Competitive. Mm. Would you rather fly or be invisible? Oh, good question. I'd rather fly. Good, because you'd get over your fear of heights. I know you have that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, favorite nature spot? Ooh. Uh, the edge of a forest by the river. Whoa, that's specifically beautiful. Yes. Your dream duo, who would you love to record with? 
Oh, goodness, that would be Sade and Michael Jackson. Whoa. Oh, amazing choices. <laughs> um, favorite dish to cook? Because you like to cook, you said. I do. So I love Supa Descana. Say that again. Supa Descana. Zupa Descana. Oh, okay. What? what? Oh, Zupa Toscana. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yum, yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the soups. Um, <laughs> daytime or nighttime? Nighttime. Mm-hmm. And then the final question, which please is so important and will help solve the mystery, if whether pineapple belongs on pizza or not. It does not. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm team no pineapple. And my yeah, sons no are team pineapple, but thank you for that. It shows how worldly you are, Raymond. Yeah. Um, this has been an absolute joy and pleasure. I've had a blast. I hope you enjoyed your time here. I, have. I hope you come back maybe at some point after the album's out or if you're getting ready to put out new music. I know that the conversations are endless, so I, I anticipate that we will continue another conversation in the future. We can invite everyone in. And also um, let us know if you're releasing more singles because that's always, you know, I know that singles usually are a thing that in the past were a lot more powerful because the albums came out in increments, but nowadays everything is streaming. But, but by all means, if a single comes out and or if a video comes out, let me know. I will. All right. Ray, this was a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It has been an honor. And thank you for what you are doing. I am super proud of you. Oh, thank you. And your amazing uh, young man. Oh, thank you, Ray. You are epic. Thank I'll you. talk to you soon. All right. See ya. Every little thing about you. Baby, what's your name? Do you have the time? If we grow This podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk, edited and mixed by Eros Falk, original music by Dante and Eros Falk, recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website, jasminefalkdickerson.com. Ciao for now. Thank you.